0: Hello, I'm Dr. Annaline Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, I'm joined by my colleague, Mrs. Kristen Trafford-Weisel, who is a case manager with Dental Protection. And we are going to discuss today a key document for all of us as healthcare providers and something that's really the cornerstone of who we are as professionals in providing healthcare to our patients, and that's our code of conduct. So first things first, Kristen, what actually is our code of conduct? Thanks, Annalene.
1: Well, the current Dental Board of Australia code of conduct that we have in force came into effect on the 29th of June, 2022. And this is a shared code of conduct that actually applies to registered health practitioners in 12 professions. The Code sets out the National Board's expectations on professional behaviour and conduct for practitioners registered in those professions and was developed by those 12 national boards under Section 39 of the national law. So the primary purpose is to protect the public by assisting and supporting practitioners to deliver effective, regulated health services within an ethical
0: framework. Fantastic. So... What does that actually mean? (laughs) So
1: put simply, the Code of Conduct is the principle-based document that gives important guidance to us practitioners about what the National Board's expectations are on our professional conduct in numerous areas, supporting us in our practice with good patient care at the very core.
0: Great. So this is the expected standard for our professional conduct or our professionalism, if you will.
1: Yes, that's right. As a profession, the expectation is that we have some fundamental values and qualities that embody who we are, and these values underpin our code of conduct. Some examples are a belief that good practice is centred on our patients, that we endeavor to treat each patient as the individual that they are and be culturally aware and respectful of our differences, whether that be gender, sexuality, age, or beliefs. Uh, The example of effective communication underpinning every aspect of good practice which is imperative in our treatment of patients, that practitioners must be ethical and trustworthy people, and that we have a responsibility to protect and promote the health of individuals as well as the community. Another quality that practitioners are expected to have, which is fundamental to our personal growth, is the ability to look inside ourselves and reflect on our knowledge and skills to evaluate whether we're practising safely and keeping up to date, and conversely, the ability to recognise and work within our limits and be committed to the safety and quality of the healthcare that we provide.
0: That certainly is a well-rounded list of values and qualities, and something I'd like to think that any person, whether personally or professionally, would be quite proud to strive for.
1: Yes, I think so too, because that's what we're really considering when we're talking about the Code of Conduct, isn't it? It's about the type of person or the type of professional that we're striving to be, that same standard that we would want any professional to demonstrate if they were treating our family
0: or loved ones. A really important point to remember, I think. So, Kristen, if these are the professional values and qualities that we're looking to embody, how does this translate across our principle based code of conduct? I mean, I guess firstly, what are the principles?
1: So, the values we just touched on underpin and are further expanded on in the guidance, with the code being based around 11 principles putting patients first, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health and cultural safety, respectful and culturally safe practice for all working with patients, working with other practitioners, working within the healthcare system, minimising risk to patients, professional behaviour, maintaining practitioner health and wellbeing, teaching, supervising and assessing, and ethical research.
0: Yeah, I think we would all agree that that is a pretty extensive list. It certainly is. And that's why we said that
1: this document really is all-encompassing and consequently the core of who we are as health professionals. I understand what you mean, though. We may think that understanding this may be a daunting prospect in that some of these principles sound pretty huge in their context. So hopefully the board has actually developed some additional resources to assist. And we're going to touch on those later. Though I thought in the first instance, you might like to briefly step through the principles.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea.
1: Now, we're only going to touch briefly on these as you can appreciate that the code is a very comprehensive and rather large document. So, we just don't have the capacity to fully dissect that today.
0: Yeah, I think that's reasonable.
1: (laughs) Now, principle one put patients first. Practitioners should practice safely, effectively, and in partnership with patients and colleagues, using patient centered approaches and informed by the best available evidence to achieve the best possible outcomes. I think when we start each day, in whatever environment we work in, this is how we would all want to practice. This section focuses on providing good care, which is our primary concern in clinical practice. This principle steps through what providing good care includes, as well as what good practice includes, as they're actually slightly different. This section also steps through the areas such as decisions on access to care and treating in emergencies.
0: Kristen, can you just step back for a second there? Did you just say that good care and good practice are different?
1: Uh, Yes, I did, actually. So when the Code talks about good care, it's touching on areas about how we care for our patients. The assessment, the management plan, including coordinating with others, ensuring the continuity of their care. It includes recognising the rights of patients and involving others with shared responsibility for their care. Good practice, however, focuses more on the nitty gritty of things in terms of how you practice, your training, your records, communication, alleviating symptoms and distress of patients and the treatment you provide and the products you use being evidence-based.
0: Okay, so that makes sense. Continuing on with principle two then, please, this is something I'm quite interested in as someone who's not born and raised in Australia.
1: Yes, so principle two, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health and cultural safety. So the practitioner should consider the specific needs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their health and cultural safety, including the need to foster open, honest and culturally safe professional relationships.
0: Yeah, I mentioned it was something I was particularly interested in because as someone who wasn't born in Australia, I don't necessarily have an inherent understanding of this. So it's good that there's some guidance around it.
1: Yes. So one of the values of professionalism is about recognising patients as their unique individuals. And this principle focuses on ensuring that culturally safe and respectful practice to support the rights and dignity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and colleagues. Now, principle three expands on this further with the principle of respectful and cultural safe practice for all. Respectful, culturally safe practice requires practitioners to have knowledge of how their own cultures, values, attitudes and assumptions, and beliefs influence their interactions with people and families, the community and colleagues. Practitioners should communicate with all patients in a respectful way and meet their privacy and confidentiality obligations, including when we're communicating online. So this principle discusses cultural awareness, which carries all the way through to end-of-life care. It expands further to encompass the importance of effective communication as well as
0: confidentiality and privacy expectations,
1: directing us to additional complementary guidance on areas such as social media.
0: Yeah. Now, principle four, then, Kristen, working with patients. This one's going to have quite a bit of information in it, isn't it?
1: Yes, you're right. Principle four, working with patients. So, this focuses on the importance of basing relationships on respect, trust, and again, how effective communication enables practitioners to work in partnership with patients. It also encompasses our obligations to maintain effective and professional relationships with patients and provide explanations to enable patients to understand and participate in their care. This is certainly the cornerstone of what we do as healthcare providers, working in partnership with our patients, and touches on important areas of consideration Uh, on patients with additional needs, such as children, and also dealing with relatives and carers. It discusses areas that we address regularly here at Dental Protection, such as adverse events, open disclosure and complaints, as well as areas that we receive a lot of questions on, such as informed consent, professional boundaries, and ending professional relationships, whether that be with patients
0: or with practices. Yeah, we take a lot of calls about those issues, of course. So the flip side of principle four, straight into principle five, working with other practitioners. Yes, and
1: interestingly, this principle is something that is really important to consider in that by having good relationships with our colleagues and other practitioners, it in turn strengthens the practitioner-patient relationship with collaboration, delegation and referral, actually enhancing our patient's care. This principle focuses on respect for all of our colleagues and other practitioners, the importance of teamwork, collaboration, collaboration. And further than this, the code also clearly sets out the absolute lack of tolerance for discrimination, bullying, and harassment within the healthcare industry in Australia.
0: Absolutely, Kristen, 100%.
1: Now, moving along to principle six, working within the healthcare system. This principle touches on practitioners' responsibilities to contribute to the effectiveness and efficiency of the healthcare system, using resources wisely, as well as health advocacy and public health. Principle seven, minimising risk to patients. The code expects that we put patient safety, including cultural safety, first. Practitioners should minimise the risk by maintaining their professional capabilities through ongoing professional development and self-reflection. And understanding and applying the principles of clinical government's risk minimisation and management in practice. So this principle recognises that minimising risk to patients can be twofold. Firstly, in terms of the systems and protocols that we have in place to reduce errors and improve our patient safety, as well as individual practitioners' performance. So whether that's ensuring that your education is up to date with current contemporary practice by meeting our CPD requirements, or even sometimes it may be even more basic than that. What about looking after ourselves? Dental protection has some great resources on burnout, and we often touch on the concept of Halt or Hungry, Angry, Late, and Tired. How can we be expected to care for others
0: if we don't first care for ourselves? Yeah, you know that I'm very on board with that, Kristen. You can't pour from an empty cup. And on that note, if we just fast forward one principle here and jump straight to principle nine, this expands on that concept further with number nine being maintaining practitioner health and well-being. That's right, isn't it? Yes, it is. So the code recognises how
1: important it is for practitioners to maintain their health and well-being and a work-life balance. The Code recognises that good practice does include looking after your own health, whether that be your physical health, your mental health, because all these things impact significantly on our ability to treat our patients and provide high quality care. This section also discusses our
0: obligation to look out for our colleagues and sometimes even take action when necessary. Indeed, Kristen, we are after all in this together as a team. So we're going to jump back again, sorry not to follow your list so uh, consistently, back to principle eight. Now, principle eight,
1: another very large section, professional behaviour. So this principle discusses the expectation that practitioners display a standard of professional behaviour that warrants the trust and respect of the community. And this includes practising ethically and honestly. This principle outlines expectations on areas such as reporting obligations, records, giving evidence and conflict of interest and financial dealings. It also touches on a number of areas that we have significant additional separate guidance from the Dental Board, such as professional indemnity insurance arrangements and
0: advertising. So there's a lot of information packed into this principle. And supporting resources too, which is great. And um, we're on the home straight now, yeah? Yes, we are. So the
1: last two uh, principles are somewhat interconnected. Principle 10, teaching, supervising and assessing. So the code outlines the importance of supporting teaching, supervising and mentoring of other practitioners and students in order to help develop the health workforce. And further to this, principle 11, our final principle, ethical research. Practitioners should recognise that the vital role of ethical and evidence-based research to inform quality healthcare and policy development. So things change and evolve constantly, and the Code recognises that to improve the health of the population as a whole... There needs to be a focus on research for the future and to discuss how this can be conducted ethically.
0: So I think we'd all agree, Kristen, that this certainly is quite a comprehensive document. And I'm hoping that those listening can understand why dental protection often refer to it as the cornerstone of everything we do as professionals. Now, say there's someone listening who hadn't really known much about the Code of Conduct or wasn't familiar with it. Where are they going to go now to access this information?
1: So the dental board has actually developed a code of conduct hub, uh, if you will, and this can be accessed directly on the dental
0: board website where all their policies, codes and guidelines are. Yeah, uh, it sits alongside some resources on infection control and resources on record keeping, of course. So they've done the same thing and advertising too, developed a hub, which is great because there's so much information in this document. It's great to have the supporting resources But I want to reassure people that when they do review it, I know it sounds huge, but it's not as intimidating as it initially seems. Now, I mentioned other resources. Once we are familiar and across the information in the Code of Conduct, what other additional resources do we need to know about to help us in implementing or living, if you will, this code in our practice and day-to-day lives? So... Exactly like you said, they've developed a number of resources for both health practitioners
1: and also for the public. The resources are available in the hub and for us as practitioners include additional FAQs on common questions about the code of conduct, especially in areas that haven't traditionally been covered on contemporary matters such as vaccination and COVID-19. And further to this, the board has developed a series of case studies
0: uh, to help us in understanding how we can apply the code in our practice and in our day-to-day lives. Thanks, Kristen. Now, you mentioned that there's a section for the public also, and I'm sure some people listening are wondering, why do these hubs have resources for patients?
1: So just as we utilise the Code of Conduct to understand the expectations placed on us around how we treat our patients and the bar by which we measure ourselves, conversely, the Code is also there as a resource for patients. So they too can understand what it is that they can expect from us their rights, and how they can expect to be treated. So patients have easy access to a full copy of the code. It's in English, as well as a number of other translations, Arabic, Chinese, Italian, Greek, and Vietnamese,
0: I believe. That's so good, because something I often worry about is how patients who don't speak English as a first language are able to access resources without a translator. So it's so good that that time has been taken, don't you think? Yeah, I think so, and I think that ties in really well with you know, respecting everyone's backgrounds and all of that cultural appreciation. I mean, if you're going to recommend that we do it, it's always good if you lead by example, I guess, isn't it? That's true. So,
1: and as well as access to all the information on the code about what to expect when accessing care from health professionals, the board has also developed case studies for patients as well in a number of key areas. So they too have examples of situations where the code may impact on their healthcare
0: or their interactions with healthcare professionals. I think I might have a look at that. That sounds really interesting. Obviously, I've read the practitioner's one, but I can't say I've ever read the resources for the patient. So I'm quite interested to see what that says. I'd highly recommend that. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome, Kristen. Thank you so much for chatting with me today about the Code of Conduct and for stepping us all through our shared Code of Conduct and its expectations because it really is the cornerstone. I know we've said this a couple of times, but if there's one document that really props up how we ought to behave as professionals and as healthcare providers this is it. And it's a comprehensive and valuable document. So I'd encourage all of you if you've not done so already, please do log on to the hub and review this guidance and support. And I think I'll put access to the hub in the speaker notes to make it easy for people in the episode notes. And maybe like me, you want to have a look at those patient resources too. All sorts of fabulous resources there. Thanks, Kristen. And thank you all for joining us today. And we do hope that you found this content relevant and helpful. And we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.